Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Krupa Patel, who runs our international market intelligence team, to discuss latest market developments across both Asia and Europe. So, Krupa, thank you so much for being here once again. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me again, Eloise. So, Krupa, the last time we spoke nearly four weeks ago on this podcast series, we discussed whether the China recovery theme was fading, and you provided quite a bearish take then on the near-term path for China equities. And indeed, Chinese equities have continued to lag since then. And I know this has happened alongside a slew of more disappointing macro releases. So, Krupa, can you begin by providing a recap of what's happened in China over the last month? Yes, of course. So, the incoming growth data releases have stayed largely weak since we lasted our podcast four weeks ago, as you were saying earlier. Now, indeed, there have been some glimmers of a potential stabilization in the downtrend that we've seen in the last couple of months, basically, um, in the latest round of Kaishan PMIs, which did tick up a little bit. But overall, the data have continued to surprise on the downside. In fact, if you look at the aggregate macro surprise index in China, it has actually turned negative in the last week after having sharply rolled over from the 17-year highs that it hit in mid-April. Thank you, Krupa. But at the same time, haven't we seen some more positive headlines on the stimulus front over the last couple of weeks? Yes. So as a consequence of all the growth slowdown that we've seen off late, there have been multiple headlines of Chinese authorities considering potential easing measures to stimulate the economy. The first such headline came in on the 5th of June, when Bloomberg reported that the government was considering a range of measures to boost the property market, which you'll remember never really saw much of an improvement from reopening earlier in the year. And the second prominent headline on this front hit last Monday, when Chinese banks were reportedly asked by the PBOC to consider raising their deposit rates, a move which, if followed through, could also potentially result in an MLF rate cut. Now, considering that both the May CPI and PPI releases last Friday continued to paint a picture of a largely deflationary economy with CPI continuing to hover around zero in China and PPI falling deeper into negative territory, I think markets are right here to assume that both the central bank and the government have room to ease policy. So coming back to the weakness in growth that you've explained so far, Krupa, Bigger picture, this all seems so at odds with the reopening optimism that we had discussed back in January this year. So why do you think the growth data is coming in below expectations? What have been the key drivers? So the biggest issue, contrary to what many were expecting, has been that the reopening-driven spending in the Chinese economy hasn't been as strong. There's a lot of data out there to suggest that actually Chinese households have largely remained cautious through Q1 when the economy was fully reopened. The key one that I've been looking at is the evolution of new household deposits, which instead of falling, as one would expect, actually rose by 27% in Q1 to 9.9 trillion yuan. 
So weaker household spending seems to be the key headwind here. So are you expecting that headwind to fade? And do you think we'll ultimately see spending rise and reopening growth tailwinds come through as we'd hoped for several months ago? Unfortunately not, as this really seems to be a structural factor. While we did see higher luxury and travel spend amongst international stocks, particularly in Europe, it wasn't quite enough to boost domestic growth in China because households in aggregate, particularly the older demographics, have historically tended to have higher savings rates, and that doesn't appear to have changed through reopening. Now, while the stimulus headlines are leading to some near-term optimism over growth, I would note that at least from a sentiment perspective, some of it might potentially be offset by this rising COVID infection rates in the country we're currently seeing. To be clear, our economists don't expect China to return to lockdowns. But of course, the recent rise in infection rates coinciding with these stimulus headlines doesn't necessarily help the case for Chinese and international China-exposed equities. Thanks. That's all really helpful context. So I guess the backdrop is growth has slowed down, albeit from a very high base from Q1 this year. But on the other hand, Chinese equities have lagged by quite some margin now, particularly relative to the US. So Krupa, what do you make of all of this when you put it together now? Are Chinese equities due at least a tactical rebound at this stage? That's a great question, and it's one that I've been heavily debating with my clients in the last week or so. Now, many clients, including both Asian and global investors that I've spoken to lately, do indeed see some merits in tactically adding to Chinese equities here post their recent strong underperformance. And a lot of them have potentially been talking about funding that position by taking profits on Japanese and Indian equities, which are hovering near three-decade and record highs, respectively. From my side, I have some sympathy for this view. But to be clear, it's mainly on account of depressed performance, valuations, and flows levels that many areas of the China and Hong Kong equity markets have hit recently, rather than a material improvement in fundamentals in the event of the reported stimulus injections materializing. On many technicals, valuations, and flow metrics that we track, some Chinese indices are actually now looking too low to ignore. So, for example, the CSI 300's relative RSI versus global equities before the last few days' bounce hit 22, a level which had rarely been breached in the last couple of decades. Looking at the CSI versus topics as well, a reversal trade which a number of investors have been positioning for as we approach the Bank of Japan meeting later this week, the entry points are still looking pretty attractive. So before the bounce back, you saw CSI versus topics' relative RSI fall to 14, the most tactically oversold since our data starts in 2002. And even if you look at things from a valuation standpoint, the buy case for Chinese equities does look quite compelling more so after this recent bout of underperformance that we've seen in the last few months. So relative to both global equities and the topics, for example, if you look at the CSI 300, we're now trading at or very close to record lows in price-to-book value terms. And finally, the flows picture is also looking quite helpful for those seeking a buy opportunity in this region. If I look at the data from our positioning intelligence team, for example, it suggests that we've seen a particularly strong round of selling from hedge funds and Chinese local stocks in the last couple of months. 
the 20-day rolling flows for the region are now down to levels that have rarely been seen in the last five-year period. Thanks, Krupa. That's all really helpful context as to why you see merits in tactically adding to Chinese equities. But I note, first of all, that you've been using the word tactical quite prominently just then, but also that your arguments are all more on the mean reversion technicals valuation front rather than anything fundamental. So from a fundamental perspective then, are you still sceptical that there's any rally here that will be sustained in the medium term? Yes, exactly. Now, everything that I talked about earlier does indeed paint a pretty compelling picture for Chinese equities. But I'd note that any rally that you get here could largely be on the back of stimulus headlines coinciding with very oversold conditions, i.e. the rally, as you say, could largely be driven by sentiment rather than necessarily fundamentals. Now, as I've been discussing in my morning pieces in the last week or so, my view in line with our property analysts, economists, and strategists across JP Morgan is that while the property stimulus headlines could be a welcome relief for China's property sector, which has declined by 13% year to date, the actual impact on the housing market via starts and sales still is quite questionable. Both home builder and consumer confidence in China remains very low. If you look at new land sales as well, they are still seeing significant declines, in fact, to the tune of 30% year to date. Secondary market listings are also still rising, particularly in the tier one segment. And with regards to the reported monetary stimulus, the Bloomberg article suggested only modest cuts to deposit trades. So what the article said was 5 bips for demand deposits and 10 bips for three-year and five-year time deposits. And I think these may not be enough to stimulate the economy for long enough to keep domestic and perhaps more importantly global investors come in and stay invested in the region's equity market for very long. Thank you, Krupa. So overall then, in terms of Chinese equities, it sounds like you believe there's a case for a tactical rebound from oversold conditions, albeit you're pretty sceptical the rally will have more legs in the medium term. Correct. Great. Thank you. So can we turn to European equities now, which I think is very topical given the reasonably high direct and indirect revenue exposure European equities have to China via exports? And indeed, European markets rallied hard from last September through to March this year's, partially, presumably, boosted by this link to a reopening China. So Krupa, what's your overall take on European equities now? I know they've really flatlined over the last month or two. So where do you see risk reward from here? Sure. So with regards to Europe, now I do acknowledge that the stimulus headlines in China could be helpful in the near term, especially if you look at SX5E's relative RSI versus the S&P 500, it has actually fallen to some pretty tactically oversold levels. But I would still caution against getting medium term bullish on European equities because I think there are still a number of domestic headwinds for the region's market here. And primary amongst those headwinds, I think, is the problematic inflation growth policy backdrop that Europe currently faces. And it's not just on an absolute basis, but I'd say particularly relative to the US. So inflation levels, for example, in both the euro area and the UK are still running higher than those in the US and obviously above both the ECB and the Bank of England's own target rates. 
And I think that explains the policy differentials that we're currently seeing between Europe and the US, where you've got European central banks on one hand still remaining hawkish versus the Fed on the other hand, which has already signaled a pause for this week's meeting. And then there's the positioning angle as well, which I think continues to make European equities look vulnerable, both again on an absolute and a relative basis. So CTA positioning in Europe, for example, is still fairly elevated at 70th percentile of its 20-year history. And this is despite the recent declines that we've seen from the highs of 96th percentile that we hit a couple of months ago. For U.S. equities, on the other hand, given all the optimism that we've seen in the region on the back of this AI-powered rally in tech and the debt deal getting approved, CTAs have actually raised their exposure to the market in recent weeks, and they are now modestly overweight compared to the neutral stroke modestly underweight position that they had held for most of the last year. So if you look at the relative positioning for CTAs between Europe versus US equities, it has come down quite a bit in the last couple of months as a consequence of the changes that I've talked about, but it is still quite elevated versus history, which just makes European equities more vulnerable as we progress through the next few months. Great. Thank you, Krupa. So it sounds like you're back to the more cautious view for European equities, which I know you voiced last month and indeed many times last year. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Krupa. Well, that's all really helpful. Thank you once again for sharing your views on markets today. Thanks, Eloise. It was great to be here again. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. We'd love to hear feedback on our content and to hear about other topics you'd like covered. So if you have feedback or questions or you'd like to explore our wider team content further, please do go to our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. And there you can send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.